Welcome to Archery Country Podcast. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Archery Country Podcast. This is Wade as we are uh, episode number one for the Archery Country Podcast, where we are going to be elaborating on the 2020 turkey season. Uh, we got some awesome guests in the house that we're going to be talking to. Working in the Weight Park, the Brainerd, and Rogers locations. We have John that is here. We also have the boss, El Capitan, Jake, and Brandon. How are you guys doing today? Good. Doing, doing great. Doing real good, yeah. So uh, we got to see some awesome videos on the Archery Country YouTube channel. John and Brandon, you guys, uh, you struck early, and you had an awesome hunt or a couple of hunts. Jake, you were the first to uh, uh, have I success. Think, uh, Brandon knocked his down opening morning. Oh, yeah. that's it. That yeah. was the second. Yeah. Brandon, then second Jake. Second time out, yeah. So uh, what we're doing on our, on our podcast is we're going to be entertaining and we're going to be talking a lot in depth um, from research development. We're talking about our success, our equipment, everything and anything. And then, of course, we're going to have podcasts from all different branches of the archery world, the hunting world, from out west hunting, Midwest, east, south, north, even out of the country. So uh, this is the first, and we're glad that everybody's listening. Guys, it was an awesome season for us for sitting here. Awesome season for everybody, of course, social media makes it pretty apparent that everybody had a good season because we don't see the ones that didn't. But uh, let's uh, let's start things off talking about how drastic the weather difference was uh, as a recap. And just to recap, all four of us sitting here shot birds in the state of Minnesota. Yep. Some of us got a chance to go out of state and had some success. And all four of us being archery country employees, we shot them with a stick and a string. So uh, I think uh, personally... I think that's a huge feat uh, to take that, to take a bird, to take any animal with, with archery equipment in the Saddles. But did you guys, you were, you, you, Brandon, you were out on opener. I was, yep. And cold, it chilly, was. chilly. I think if I remember right, when I was driving to the spot, I think the vehicle said 17 degrees, 16 degrees. Colder that sounds than right. That. Was it? Yeah, it, it was, was in the teens. I thought it was, it was like 12 or 13. That could have been. Yeah, I was up north and I had my heater stoking over that thing and and without like giving away coordinates obviously um w on opener day i was up northwest minnesota or western minnesota i guess you could say you jake you just said you were up north yep. and you guys were here centrally yeah, located the, like the saint joe area okay perfect so i actually we 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 put birds to bed the night before roosted birds in that uh, as we were walking to our blind they struck off on the limb and I could see the breath of gobblers. They're like 75 yards away, you know, as the sun came up. And it was 12 degrees uh, that morning for us up there. But as far as is that being cold, did you see any effect on the birds? No, we had uh, we actually had a really good morning. I went out with Matt, one of the other guys that work here. Um, he took me to a place that he has permission to hunt. So he did all the scouting, and I had it pretty easy. I just got to go along. That's, um, what, that's what it's all about. We right? had uh, we had a couple of different groups close by within a few hundred yards that were gobbling on the roost, and then we could hear we could hear a couple other groups way off in the distance. Um, so no, it, we had an action-packed morning, and didn't seem like the weather affected where we were at, anyways. Yeah, I know for me, um, I could see the hens up on roost, and they stayed up there for at least an hour. You know, so I, I think it did have a little effect on them just staying put a little longer and letting it warm up a little more before they pitch down. Because I had a couple gobblers come in opening morning, and and they kind of went around the hens, and then they waited under the tree where the hens were until they came down that morning. Mm -hmm. And what, what I noticed, it, like, okay, so we never talk about scouting. You know, we say scouting for deer and, and doing your food plots and your trail cameras or out west, you're scouting. You spend just as so much time behind a glass. And actually, a, a ton of success in the turkey woods is just as much time scouting. Um, they're not notoriously the same pattern come spring because of, you know, strut and breeding. But they are they are a bird or a creature of instinct, and they can be patternable as far as roosting and pitching down. What I noticed is I had flocks of 15 to 20 birds. You know, if, if I seen one gobbler, I seen three. Um which was pretty apparent on your video, the multiple. You well, know, we on got a the chance second to, group. Yeah. On the second group that came in, yeah. Um, but that's what I noticed is the cold weather, they were still grouped up up there. Um, yeah, I had the first two gobblers that came into the field were in a group of two, and then later that morning 
I had a group with probably five gobblers, a Jake and two hens come in after that. So they were definitely bunched up still. I can I can pitch in that uh, opening morning. We could tell the birds were grouped up, but back to your scouting thing. Um, we went to a piece of property that um, we had turkey hunted a couple of years ago. Um, hadn't set foot on it since like early March when I went out there shed hunting one day. Went in basically blind to where I'd seen birds when I was shed hunting set up in the dark and completely blew birds off of the roost. <laughs> so uh, I know that we we blew out like a dozen birds opening morning. Yeah. <laughs> that uh that is a pit in the stomach when that happens. Uh, yeah, and I think I think for turkey hunting scouting can go a long way. It's just like any any type of hunting, but uh for me I was preparing to take my kids out and I wasn't planning on going, but then Matt offered to take me out. Um but that night before he actually in the dark moved a blind. He went out to roost birds seen them in a different spot um, that they had been going to and moved a blind in the dark. And it, you know, we both tagged out that morning. And if he hadn't made that move where his blind was at, we would have probably not even seen any birds. We would have heard them. But, right. You know. And I think, you know, it's especially as the season goes long, uh, long, because we have almost two months in Minnesota. We start like April, was it 15, 19? Yeah, usually around the 15th. So, <clears throat> and then we're just getting here at the end of May is when it, when it tallies up. But, um, Scouting and, and that just like you said, setting a blind at night, um, you can you can bump birds off the roost, but you can easily move, right? And and right. sometimes you know you, that's where a lot of gun hunters, I, I wouldn't say an advantage, but they they happen to have more success rates because they can do the quote unquote run and gun, yeah, mobility. Mm-hmm. You know, and and there's getting to be a lot of times. You know, I had a couple sits this year where I just went behind a deadfall. I didn't have a blind. But a blind's a heck of a lot easier right. and more enjoyable to me, especially like you know, I don't video, but you guys video. You know, you kind of have to hide all that stuff a little bit. Yeah. There, there's companies and guys out there that that video behind deadfall or they have a, a makeshift blind and sitting on the ground. But um, we'll get to blinds in just a little bit. Every every person that comes into the shop, wherever it may be. First thing they ask, they, they can be a veteran turkey hunter or they can be brand new as they say, what's the new, the latest, the greatest as far as equipment? Okay, we were all very, very successful this year, but let's just break down a little bit. There'll be a, a ton of similarities on all four of us with our equipment, but there's also going to be some drastic differences and we'll, we'll tell you kind of why. So, John, you start things off as far as what you're shooting, why you're shooting it, and it'll just go around the ring. Okay. Um, so this year I was shooting two different bows. Um, I was shooting a, a Matthews VXR 31 and a half. And then I was also shooting a Bowtech Revolt X. Um, the day that I killed my turkey and the bow that I actually carried during turkey season um, was my Revolt X uh, for the main reason that from a tuning aspect and a consistency aspect after shooting both of them, um, I was able to shoot the broadhead of my choice uh, to a further range accurately than what I was on on the other bow. Um, maybe that's just because I spent a little more time on it or um, that it just fit up for me better or something like that. But um, I was shooting my, my bow tech. Um, arrow-wise and broadhead-wise, I was shooting a, a very stiff uh, victory arrow, uh, one of their ripped TKOs in a 250 spine. Um, and I was shooting a 200 grain decapitating head from solid. Um, so explain uh, when, obviously it's in the description of the word decap, but you're strictly shooting at the head. Well, the neck and the head area. Yep. Um, base of the neck all the way up to the head. Uh, so either a hero or a zero. Yeah. Yep. Um, I've shot other broadheads in the past. I know we've all shot expandable broadheads for body shooting. Um, I've never shot a fixed blade for body shooting, I guess, but, um, yeah, the, the, the main reason I choose those is that, um, it's all or nothing. Um, I've chased birds down in the past that, you know, you body hit or you're, you go out with a buddy and then they shoot one. And I mean, I think we've all had a couple of rodeos where it oh, guts yeah, Western oh, yeah. and yep. you're running stuff down and let's be real when Turkey season comes around, I don't think anyone at this table is in running shape, you know, <laughs> <laughs> it's just first of the spring and, uh, yeah, so I've, I've switched over to, like, the decap style heads. Um, it's it's clean. Uh, the bird's down instantly, or they're not. Um, and it, it just makes life easy. You shooting single pin or multi-pins, or don't you worry on your decap 
on like my, what's your range, your effective range? So on uh, with my Bowtech bow, I was actually able to to shoot those broadheads out to about forty yards. Um, now that's like the farthest I've ever tried shooting them. Yeah. Um, I was hanging out in the shop late one night with one of our customers that was getting ready for a pig hunt, and we were shooting in here, kind of having fun. And uh, I can get 38, 37 yards, you know, in the shop here. Um, but on like a five spot target, NFA five spot target at that distance with that bow, I could basically keep it where two of the three blades were inside that white circle or a five, you know, on a five spot target. Um, Productive. Very, very effective. I did not ever expect to get them to fly that good. Jake? Uh, I was shooting a VXR 31 and a half. Um, smooth bow, quiet. And uh, I'm part, I mean, part of the reason is their new limb leg system, to be honest with you. Because you could put the limb legs on it, sits in the blind really easy, and you know you don't have to worry about it flipping over or anything. For setup wise, similar arrow setup to what John is, uh, Rip TKO two fifty with a decap. Probably the other big difference is if if it's legal for a Garmin in the state, I'm shooting the Garmin site. And, and the, so the and the Garmin for those of you that are listening, that's an actual rangefinder built in rangefinder to site. the site. It's the all one. Put it on, drop it, and it puts the pin on. Especially when you're shooting these heavy arrow setups with these decaps. You know, like I had mine sighted into 40 yards, mm-hmm. um, and you know, pull back and range it. And I mean, because the difference in five yards with those heavy arrow setups is you oh, possibly are missing missing the head, and it's all over. Uh, so yeah, that's my bow of choice for the spring. Absolutely, Brandon. Yeah, so for me, I was shooting the VXR 31.5, just like Jake, um, and kind of same thing. I have a Revolt X as well, but that limb leg system for turkey hunting was awesome, um, so I kind of chose to go that way and was able to get, you know, get the arrows and the broadheads to fly good, um, shooting that D-cap, rip TKOs, 250 spine, four-fletch feathers. That's um, what I was going to ask you. So you're, you're, you're steering like a tire rim out right. there. Well, and um, there's, you know, there's different tuning that goes into... You can't just take your standard deer hunting arrow or your 3D arrow or whatever you're using and expect that you're switching over to this arrow with a 200 grain tip for it to tune good. Mm-hmm. You know, and so that's what there's a little bit of different tuning that goes into it, but we can get them to fly right on. And we had customers with all kinds of different bows yeah. that we were able to set up and, and fly accurately and, and shoot those you yeah. know, with their field tips so they don't have to recite in for the broadhead. Nice. And the difference too between like, you know, I can remember shooting. Uh, you know, the head chopper style when they first mm-hmm. came out, you know, what, probably, Christ, 10, 15 years ago yeah. now. Yep. And, uh, you know, they were tough. I mean, I, right. you could get them to fly, but you were going to have to have a lot of arrows and a lot of broadheads right. to do it. Well, and I think a lot of that is the bow cams now are so much easier to tune and you have so much more adjustment and the arrows have gotten better. And those solid D caps, I've shot a lot of different head shooting styles and tried a different, you know, a lot of different ones and, and I don't know if it's their machining or what it is, but those broadheads just fly better. And as these guys are talking decaps and, and arrow builds, so they're not, our customers and the guys here, they're not taking their standard hunting arrow that they'd use for whitetail or an elk. Um, and, and it has nothing to do with the spine at this point, but what I'm saying is length. Um, mm-hmm. You have to get that broadhead away from the right. riser. You're not, you're not an inch in front of the rest or inside the riser. You're, you're extending it way out. Well, anytime that you lengthen an arrow... Um, you start playing with spine, and that's why they're saying a 250 spine. Yeah, and they're super and heavy. They're super heavy and, and extreme front of center, of course, with the point weight, and the feathers helping steer. Right. Because it's a, a four- or five-inch feather and four-fletch or three-fletch, whatever it may be. But <clears throat> So you, we're, not, we're not giving you, you guys, it, it is a different arrow build than what most of you will be shooting all year long. Right. Um, the thing is you don't have to have two dozen of them. Right. Um, you and know, actually, just a couple and real quick for some people listening that don't know what the number systems mean. Every company has a different number system, but when, when Wade's saying a 250 spine, um, in those victories, that's actually a very stiff spine. So it's not a weak noodly arrow. Um, and you know, as you go full length to, to make enough room for that broadhead, you need to have something very stiff. Perfect point. And then, so here I'm going to be the black rose in a bed of red ones. I don't shoot a decap. I shoot. Jake actually turned me on to these three years ago, two years ago. They're, they're made from Grim Reaper. Or Grim Reaper makes them for archery country. Um, 
it's a glorified whitetail special four blade it's 125 grain it's like 75 inch cutting diameter when it's said and done but uh it's i so it's it's an over-the-top expandable so unlike a rage where it's a slip cam design these blades actually come over the top and what we haven't talked about is usually for any other animal that i hunt it's between 70 and 75 pounds for turkeys i was shooting 58 um because i'm either drawing when i'm sitting 99 percent of the time i'm drawing when i'm sitting but uh you don't need the speed for a turkey a lot i think there's a, a misconception you can successfully harvest a bird by blowing through them huge cutting you know and it takes care of it but i don't really care to blow through a bird i want to put the broadhead in them and and it'd be quick and done and those those broadheads are what i shoot and the reason being is because i haven't had the opportunity or took the opportunity to play with distances um i get a chance used to get a chance to hunt you know five or six states before kids and marriage and and all that but i get to a point where time is not on my side so if i have a bird hang up at 38 yards um, a wary old three-year-old tom you know that doesn't like my jake set up and, and we'll get to decoys in a bit but you know i might have some long shots the advancements of bows and arrows and and coming to the shop to where all of us that have gotten to play with them can set it up for you now you can and and let me ask you this can you take a body shot with those broadheads i wouldn't i no. wouldn't yeah. I mean, if you hit a wing butt or something you're, you're probably just gonna wound it and have it walk yeah. off you know yeah. so and that's that that's just a personal preference that i i shoot you know body shot um a lot of the birds that i will that i harvest i'll wait until they're facing me mm-hmm. if they're in a strut if they're not in a strut it's a side profile it is a very very small target you know smaller than a softball as far as vitals but i'm confident and i'm not talking 80 yard shots on birds 30 and under you know and success but that's what i'm shooting i i shot the vxr this year because of the limb legs that's the solely the only because for those of you that have never hunted in a blind if you stick your bow whether it be wet grass Mm -hmm. or early season there's dirt or you hang it on a hook on the top of your blind it's there it's accessible but ease and movement, even though you're blacked out and you're in the back of the blind, if a bird is five feet from the blind, even though he's full strut, there's always seems to be a lookout, Tom, or there seems to be a hen. And if they catch your movement, right, it can yep. disaster, you know. So uh, that's that's basically why I shot that. But as far as, as setups, you know, your stabilizers, your quivers, I don't shoot with a quiver on. Um, releases that's all personal preference whatever you shoot whatever works yep. is working on that speaking of decoys along with our equipment this is there's 750 variables of decoy spreads what works early season versus late season what did you what it what did you guys see work um so again earlier season um i'm a i'm a big fan and i think we kind of all found this out over this year the past couple of years but uh that first week that we have in Minnesota, maybe the first two weeks, um, it seems like those birds are still kind of figuring out their pecking order, depending on when our snow has gone away. Um, you know, they still might be in really, really large groups like we had two years ago when opening morning we still had snow on the ground. Um, or like this year there wasn't snow, but it was cold, and we're seeing birds still in like, you know, maybe subgroups or they're not all in one huge group. Um, but it seems like they're figuring out that pecking order yet and those those toms are in kind of fighting mode um i had really good luck with uh, the jake strutter decoy uh from dave smith um also ran a couple of uh of his hen decoys um the morning that me and my friend who was with me that morning actually shot our birds i think we had seven decoys out i mean we had a spread so you had a giggle there was a lot giggle. now the cool thing about that setup the blind was already there so it was like it's not like we had to carry everything in that morning, so that made it a little easier to justify. Like, and oh, you just grabbed your bag too. Yeah, two of you guys, and I mean, for those of you that don't know me, I'm the biggest guy of archery country. There probably is. I'm not packing seven decoys in my blind, <laughs> in a bow, and a thermos of coffee, and all that. Well, but you, 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 you had the heater, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but th- that's surprising that that many decoys. Mm-hmm. Is there a way that you're setting them different 
uh, just like what you see scouting wise, that's kind of what you're trying to replicate. Yeah. I think that it started for me a few years ago and every time I go out, I'm not putting seven decoys. On, oh, I got gotcha. you. You know, um, gotcha. that was kind of a morning where it's like, Hey, you bring yours, I'll bring mine. We'll see what we're feeling. Um, but we had, we had seen that field the night before and there was a, a decent amount of birds. And I feel like if you're seeing a lot of birds, put a lot of decoys out. Um, I've had struggles in the past where, uh, one of the places I used to hunt, when you'd see turkeys, you would see a dozen, you would see 10, you would see six. The lowest amount you'd ever see is maybe two. And the first few weeks I hunted that place by myself, there was no interest in my decoys. I was probably running lower quality decoys at that time too. And then Brandon came with me one morning and I think we had like five or six decoys out. I ended up shooting my first yep. bird that morning. I know. Um, so ever since then I've been maybe a little more apt to, to throw a few more decoys out. If those birds are usually in big groups anyways, that's what they're used to seeing. Jake, you uh, you probably have a shop full of decoys. Is there a go-to? Uh, my, I mean, the way I look at decoys is buy the best quality ones you can. They do last forever. Um, you know, I run Dave Smith ones too. The biggest thing for me is the male, if you're going to do a strutter or if you're going to do a Jake or whatever you're going to do is a placement thing for archery um you know and that's why i think it's so important especially if you're shooting decaps and you want you know that really close shot and and a lot of time you know i first morning i set up um and i the only scouting i did was from the tractor tilling that that field up for food plots so killing two birds with one stone yeah so i never sat out there and scouted but when i was in the tractor doing that i seen birds coming and going from certain areas so i kind of had a clue where they were going um, so if the night before I went up, set my blind up, put all my decoys in, put my heater in, put the chair in and the whole thing. So I didn't have to carry all that out. So I think the first morning I started out with five hens and a Jake decoy. Um, and that morning I had a lot of birds all day. They just, I wasn't where they wanted to be in the field. And they came around and skirted me every which way. But, again, even with all the decoys, that isn't where they wanted to be. But next morning, or actually it was a few days later by the time I could get up again, I went to the corner where they all were and, and that uh, put a Jake and I think three hens that morning. And, you know, again, you know, to me, I don't know if it matters if you got three Jakes or, or I mean, three hens or five hens or two hens or one hen. Um you know, I do stick with one male, you know, most of the time. I, I very rarely put more than one out. I think there is occasions where probably a, a strutter and a jake or a couple strutters could could do well too. Um, but for me, it's usually one, so I can get that tom to come in and go exactly through whatever hole I'm looking through in my blind. I don't like a lot of exposure when I'm hunting. Um, you know, like I hunt out of a Zenic blind. I don't hunt out of the 180 side. I hunt out of the, the portal side. And I like to keep things darker in there. I like to th- have less movement or less opportunity to get caught. Um, so I can, you know, draw back or move a little easier. So, you know, that decoy is very important for that. You, you run that many? Yeah, so this this year anyways, on opening morning when me and Matt wrote, and again, he had went out the night before and moved the blind. He had a heater. He had one chair in there. So I just had to carry my chair out with him. And I think we had we had his big Dave Smith strutter and then a lay down Dave Smith hen. And then I think we had five other feeding and leading hens combined out there. So we had like seven total, six hens and one strutter. Um, and yeah, that definitely that first week this year, if you had a strutter, w- w- that was key. Oh, you were you were killing a bird if you had a strutter. Yeah, I mean, they were, well, so anyways, so for my story on the hunt, so right off the roost, I mean, it wasn't very long into it. We have a hen coming to the field, strutter following her. She starts working towards the decoys, and he comes running in. And I was trying to get my money's worth on my tag, so I decided to shoot three arrows and just graze them all <laughs> every time so I could, you know, get more shots for my money. <laughs> so <laughs> that's, you guys need to go to Archery Country's YouTube channel. Okay, Brandon, Brandon can, like, hit dimes at 30 yards with his setup. I've seen it done, but... There was a little adrenaline and a lot yeah, and going I, on. I don't think I've ever had a bird. And see, I, I used to body shoot all the time before I started head shooting the last few years. So 
for the most part, I would never let birds get that close. I always set my decoys seven to 10 yards away, never any farther than that. Yeah. But as birds were coming in, once they got 20 or under, if I was body shooting, I was, I was letting them have it already. Yeah. With head shooting, you're trying to let them come into the decoys, you know, take your time. But this one came in so hot and started beating on the decoy. I was a little nervous that he was going to run out of there. And I just, yeah, the adrenaline was going. I didn't take my time. Yeah. I didn't let them slow down and really stop moving. And there's, there's nothing like all four of us or all 20 of us at archery country could stand right here at the line at a 20 yard range and, and be very successful. Not a problem. There's nothing that duplicates even target archery pressure that it duplicates adrenaline. Right. That's, that's why we do it. You know, um, we're not out to put fans on the wall or, or full body mounts to me and you guys video. So the key to having a good video is footage not pre-roll. I mean, that's important, but like the bird coming in full stroke. That's what I enjoy right. watching they when I watch all of these. Right. Me, my my adrenaline and everything is get, is calling them in. And if they're in that magical mark, I'm already drawn. But I'm not talking to my camera guy. You know, I'm not saying, are you on? I'm on? I'm either blah, blah. You guys have a little bit more. You you like to put all the pressure on your shoulders. Where I just I just shoot them and get them. <laughs> you know, one thing I will say that uh, I'm 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 glad that Brandon shot his bird opening day, and then mine was a few days later. So opening morning, we all show up to work at you know ten nine forty five ten o'clock to get the shop ready, and everyone's trading stories from that morning, um, and we all watch the video just on Brandon's phone, and it gave me the opportunity to you know, maybe learn from someone else's mistakes or, or, you know, not taking that time on those first couple shots and rushing it and watching how that bird reacted to that strutting decoy. Cause this was the first year that I was running a strutter. Oh, and if you go watch John's video, the patience is amazing almost to the, how long he waited for that bird to settle down. Yeah. He, I mean, that's the one maybe aspect of running that strutter that opening week is that that bird's kind of coming in hot. He wants to fight. He's going to show him who's boss. Um, and I drew back way too early. I should not have drawn back as early as I did, but I mean, I can remember at one time I was, I like, I had my bow at full draw and I came out of my anchor. I came out of my anchor, tipped my head over to the side, was watching this bird at seven, eight yards for 20, 30, 40 seconds. And I, I hadn't even aimed yet. I was just, it was so fun to watch that bird beat up on that decoy. I mean, it was, it was probably one of the coolest things I've seen in the, in the turkey woods. We'll have to, uh, we'll have to video one of these podcasts and put on YouTube because for those of you who didn't see it, John just took us through the whole hunt of him drawing. Almost knocked <laughs> off his headset and like, <laughs> like he was in it to win it. Um, yeah, and I mean, like to me, turkey hunting with archery equipment is about that experience. And yeah. that's part of the reason I like shooting a decap and I like having my decoy set up the way it is. If I would rather have one come in, give me a show, you know, strut up against a bird, beat up the decoy or, you know, the decoy and, and let that play out. than you know, shoot one at 35 yards that's passing by and, and get a bird. Like I would rather go through a whole season and not shoot a bird and have that moment when the adrenaline's t- you know, up there, that bird's coming in, strutting. He's, I mean, right out your window, coming into your decoys. You're letting him come in and, you know, bumping the decoy the way around and waiting for that perfect time. Yeah, it's, it's to each his own on the experience, and, and there's nothing that plays out. You know, a lot of times they'll get asked, well, what's your favorite hunting? Uh, it's hard to pass up a 160-inch whitetail on the list of that or, you know, a 350-inch elk or an antelope or something like that. But when you can successfully take a bird to answer you off the roost, get them to commit, uh, when you can feel, not just hear, but feel the spit drum, uh, they brush up against the blind, you know, it's, it's, it's hard not to put turkey hunting up at the top. Uh, for a long time, turkey hunting was just a thing to do in the spring because fishing season wasn't open and, and hunting season was in September. But now, and I don't know if you guys have seen it, I'm blessed that I have private ground uh, pretty much everywhere I go. But I have uh, there's a lot of customers that hunt public ground. And back to what Jake said about the detail and the money spent on a decoy sometimes can be just as important as the bow you're shooting. 
Because if you go out there and, and not name dropping any brands, but if you go with a piece of plastic with a red head on it, um, you're doing just as much damage. Don't get me wrong. Toms can be dumb. Yeah. But in the same sense, there's other birds that you're playing with. You know, I don't know how many times we've actually harvested a tom because we've called hens in. Right. You know, people say, quote, unquote, oh, they're hen up. No luck. Well, then switch your tactic. Call your hens in. You know, piss off that boss tom or boss hen and have her bring the tom in and do what you need to do. Yeah, I think the, the realistic decoys definitely matter as you keep getting farther and farther into the season. You know, and the birds have seen other people's setups and have been called in maybe a few times already. You know, the more realistic your decoys are, you know, in week two and three and four, and as the season continues to go along, it's probably more important. Absolutely. And, you know, we driving down the road, everybody sees turkeys in a field because you're not looking in the timber, right? And, and as the season goes on, there's more bugs and there's more little bulbs and there's grassroots and everything. You see them exposed. But there's absolutely nothing wrong with hunting in the timber. You know, that's where the name Timberbilly comes from <laughs> is because they roost in a tree and pitch down. And do you guys see any different tactics when you're set up let's say on a timber ridge or where it's heavily wooded versus a field edge? Well, the big thing probably is you, you can't see as well, right. you know, and then sound, I think, you know, when you hear them gobble in a heavily timbered or like where there's ridges, it's going to be a little tougher to tell where that noise is coming from. If it's going off of this or that or the other thing, um, you know, I hunted with a buddy this year uh, who it was his first year uh, hunting, had a ton of fun. He took it serious. I mean, he was out scouting. He took it like an elk hunt. He was out a week before his season started checking out different ground, checking out public ground. Um, and this year, I think it was it was great because, pe- you know, people had time uh, with, with the stuff that was going on. Um, but it also probably made it tougher for if it was someone's first year this year there was probably a little more pressure out there this year. There's a few more people out in the woods, you know? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think, uh, you know, there's a bunch of different forums, and then we have some blogs that we put online. People are just more educated about it, you know? And and like you say, everyone had adequate amount of time. Um, We were blessed to still work, but, uh, you know, there's a lot of people that a a week-long turkey hunt was was nothing for them. Mm -hmm. But uh, on that that aspect – we talked about timber versus is that one thing I think gets overlooked that can be more detrimental to anybody's turkey hunt is not the decoys, not the blind, not the bow, not the arrow or the broadhead you're shooting or release, not even if you're wearing black or camel, but calling. Mm-hmm. Um, we sell quite a few calls. The easiest, you know, if someone comes in there brand new, giving them a diaphragm call, a mouth call, if it, they want to play with it and get good, that's fine, but they're not going to have the success. So a lot of times you'll see people buy a box call or a pit and a pot, you know, a slate or a glass. Do you have your favorite call, and do you adjust? Do you do different calling versus early, late? I mean, I'm kind of putting you on the spot because everyone was done. Most of you guys were done the first week. But do you change anything up? I think that most of us were done the first week. But I don't think any of us were actually done the first week. I think we all continued to go maybe hunt with a buddy, hunt with a friend. Um, I kind of, it, it depends on how the birds are reacting. Um, I think we all carry, I know I do at least, an arsenal. <laughs> you know, if they don't like one, you throw that one in and grab another one, mm-hmm. toss it in your mouth and try that. But I carry bo- uh, like a slate call, multiple mouth calls, a couple different strikers, uh, gobble shaker, because I cannot gobble with a reed. It's embarrassing if I try. Yeah, I, myself, I run a slate call and then diaphragm calls for the mouth. And I think over the years of turkey hunting, part of that is I started out turkey hunting with Jake in South Dakota, and he was a very aggressive caller. So I think that that's kind of who I learned from. So I just kind of took upon that. And I would say for me, I probably call maybe more than most people would, which maybe isn't always good. But when I go out, I'm kind of, I have the attitude of, if there's not a bird out there that really wants to play the game, I'm not just going to, I'm probably going to move or I'm not going to be out there then, mm-hmm. you know, I'll maybe come back. I'll go sit for an hour or two. And if nothing's responding or nothing's happening, I'm out of there coming back a different time then. So it's hard for me to, to call once and wait for a half hour and call again. Now there's been times me and John hunted together a few years back where we had one that literally was gobbling 
every time we'd call, it was cutting us off and we could, we could hear where it was at and it was maybe a hundred yards away moving left to right. And it did this for 15 minutes and we kept calling literally probably every 30 seconds at this bird and it just was gobbling its head off. And then we decided we got to get to work because this was before work. So we quit calling. And as soon as we could quit calling, it was maybe five minutes and that bird cut that hundred yards and was at 20 yards coming into the decoy. So sometimes you got to know what that bird's doing. Yeah. I know for me, I, you know, well, generally early season, I'm more aggressive, uh, you know, partially because of different areas I hunt, you know, have pressure by neighbors too. So I can get away with it early as things get, uh, you know, more pressure or, you know, I'm in an area where I'm hunting more patterns, you know, then I try to call as little as possible. But again, I let the bird kind of dictate what's going on for calls. Um, I mostly use slate and box calls. I have some diaphragms I bring with, but I think I can get more detail out of those two than I can with, with a diaphragm for myself, you know, and I don't practice with a diaphragm much either. So that's probably part of the reason. Right. Right. Yeah, it's probably like like Brandon touched on, not necessarily what call you have in your arsenal, more so knowing when to use it and maybe when not to use it. Mm-hmm. That same situation played out for us this year where after I killed my bird, there was still another bird talking behind us, as you can see in that YouTube video that you brought up. Um, and he was 40 yards behind us for 20 minutes plus, just going back and forth. And it's like, hey, this reminds me exactly of the bird that Brandon and I killed together. We're just going to shut up. Mm-hmm. We, we got quiet, and a few minutes later, he came in. Yeah, and some of that, too, you don't have to call. Like me and if you go and watch me and Matt's video, that first Tom comes out on the field, he sees the decoys, he runs in. We never – we had made some noise when they're on the roof, so they kind of knew where we were at, which I don't know if that would have even mattered. I think they are coming to that field. Um, but we never made a noise to him. He came in, beat up the decoy, my shoot and miss. 20 minutes later, we got another group that comes out, and it had five hens, and – two toms, three jakes, and then all those male turkeys seen our decoys, they broke off the group. We never called to them. Come in, Matt shoots his bird. Um, then I did a little bit of calling to try to call the other tom back in that I ended up shooting. But So for the most part, on, on our hunt, we probably could have left the calls at home altogether. Here's a, here's a question for you guys. is uh, when, when you are set up in the morning, you've got your spot picked out, you're sitting there, it's dark, you're waiting to get light. When do you start calling? Do you do you wait until you hear birds start to gobble in the roost? Do you wait till it's, you know, okay, it's starting to get light uh, a certain time before sunrise. What's your guys' strategy on that? So me personally, you know, I'm not taking the slogan from Primos, but you speak the language. Okay. You're what you're imitating is a bird. You are a hen. I don't ever gobble unless I absolutely have to, you know, get their attention or whatever, but I'm, I'm being the hen that he needs. Um, and, what a and, giver. Yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> most people, they, they get deterred on the whole deal. That, uh, okay. A shot gobble, a bird is filled up. He's ready to breed. When a, when a Tom gobbles, he's making his presence known so that hens, when they're ready, will come to him. Okay. Big misconception is a bird just gobbles, just gobbles, just gobbles, but he's actually talking for a reason, uh, on the roost, you know, what I'll do is I'll get them to shot gobble with an owl, a uh, hoot owl, or, um, you know, there's various different things. You can use a crow a lot of times. Um, I don't know if I've ever used anything other than that. Once in a while, you know, you can screech owl, like a screech owl on that. But if I, if I go into an area where I don't know exactly where they're roosted, I'll use a shot gobble. I'll get them to shot gobble just for a locator, just to see, okay, he's 100 yards off, or the roost tree's five yards ahead of me um then i i go into the i paint the whole picture i'll do a fly down cackle so i'll just do some very very soft tree yelps and then the fly down cackle i use my baseball cap like her wings beat down and then i'll do an excited yelp like three or four note sequence and then i'll shut up because she's down on the ground she's going to fluff her feathers she's going to go to start picking she's going to see what's out she's going to be an alert you know for the first five or ten minutes and usually if you can duplicate that and a Tom answers you, he knows that there's a hen within, you know, 100 yards of that area. He knows it's there. 
Now, is he going to pay attention to the other five hens that are on the tree next to him? Probably, but he will always remember. They're not, they're dumb, but they're smart. Does that make sense? Totally. Like I always say, if a turkey could smell, we would never shoot them. We'd never get them. But they were, and then, then I'll go in and, and if I'm excited and he cuts me off, like Brandon was saying, then I'll just keep on that momentum. If I get excited and nothing happens, you know, maybe I got to switch calls like you're saying, or go to a softer sequence and, and more or less kind of coax him in. This is the prettier blonde on the corner that you need to come see. And then, like you say, sometimes it doesn't work. Well, that's because you might have wanted a brunette. <laughs> They're all different on that. But I think, Colin, like you guys are saying, the reason I use a diaphragm is so my hands are free. Mm-hmm. Uh, at any time that I need to work a call, I can. I do agree with Jake. I can take a, or any, most people, especially beginners, you can take a pit in a, a pot call or a slate call. You can sound perfect. But then again, you know, you have something in your hands or you have something on your lap that you're, you're working. But uh, I, th- I think, I don't know if it, I say that calling can hurt you. And that's what I mean when people will squawk box one from the road and get them gobbling. Then they think that that's what they're going to do when they go out in the turkey blind. You know, I think you got to play out. Every day is different. Some days they don't gobble. Right. You know, it's overcast or low pressure. Sometimes you, there'll be 40 birds around you and you won't hear nothing. I mean, the worst thing. But the coolest thing is a silent tom that you don't see just all of a sudden is there, you know. But uh, Yeah, and I think, too, like, you know, we're all talking hunting easterns around here. We're, like, you know, hunting Marion's out west. I mean, you can be way more aggressive than you can around oh, here absolutely. to the point where, I mean, you can be in a hollering match with them sometimes to get them to come in or get that big flock to come in. Where, like, around here when I'm hunting eastern, I'm – way more quiet and way more patient than I am if I'm out on a trip like that. And then that's, uh, there are some listeners that'll be, we talk about species of birds and we won't get into that, but you have your Rios, um, kind of your Southwest, uh, Southern bird, so to speak. And then you have your Merriams, what I just say is a mountain bird. Um, you know, your Montana, your way western south dakota wyoming birds they have a white crown on there uh what we usually see here easterns you can get into kansas you can get some hybrids here and there and then your osceola is just in florida and that's a little bit smaller bird really really dark but turkeys in general are you're hunting them the same but like you say you can be more aggressive open country whole kit and caboodle uh, one thing, I, we, we've talked about blinds just a little bit. How important or what aspects of a blind do you look for if you were going to go purchase a brand new one? Well, it's nice to have a blind that's easy to set up and take down, especially if you're you know, planning on moving from one spot to the next. Or, you know, and we're talking hub that. blinds. more Hub, that's hub what, style, that's yeah, pop-up style blind. Yep. 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 Um, this year there was a neat company, the Exenic blind, that came out. Um, I didn't shoot my bird out of that. I did get one and set it up, and then my kids shot theirs out of kind of a homemade box blind. But um, the material on it's real stretchy, easy to set up. Window system's great. So I guess for me, the biggest thing is just being, you know, some of those hub-style blinds, the hubs are so tight and so hard to pop up, and then you're making a lot of noise trying to fight with it, you know, to set it up and take it down. Where this Exenic blind um, has a strap in there that you can loosen up the hubs, which makes it really easy to set up and take down. And then once you're in the blind, you can tighten the strap back up to tighten your hubs for wind and, and all that. But great blind. And chairs, stools, what do you prefer? Um, I think right now I've got a couple um, of the double bowl tri-stools. And then with my kids trying to take them out, I had multiple different setups and blinds already set in place. So I was using lawn chairs, any chair I had at home. I, I was uh, throwing out there. but I never really put the importance. I, the only time I hunt out of a blind is for turkey hunting. Um, mm-hmm. I don't do it for big game, but I bought one of the Millennium chairs. Yeah, that's what I run to. Same thing here. As far as like pivoting yeah. and looking out different windows of the birds are behind me, uh, you can set the length. You know, we're with everybody's different size. Um, Jake being 6'4, I mean, obviously you're going to extend the legs well, to and, get you. You know, for me, turkey hunting is all about relaxing, enjoying myself. Having a good chair, and I'm the guy who's, I'm not going out there without coffee in the morning. Mm-hmm. That's definitely happening. Um, so, I mean, having 
that chair where I can relax, you know, hang out for three, four hours in the morning and kind of let the world come alive, you know? Absolutely. I would say to touch back on your, on the blind question, you know, when you're looking at blinds, that's something to consider is, you know, the chair that you're sitting in, does your chair sit higher? Does it sit lower? Do the windows in the blind that you're looking at accommodate what you have or what you're going to have? Um, I like to have a, you know, a blind where the windows will go low enough. I, you know, I sit in a little bit shorter chair. I'm a little bit smaller guy. Um, and especially with like decap shooting, um, expecting birds to be in close range. And depending on the train you're setting up, you know, if you got a slightly uphill shot or a slightly downhill shot, um, especially a downhill, you know, if, if you're shooting a little bit downhill out of your blind on, onto a field and you got, you're expecting that seven, eight, 10 yard shot, you got to be able to have a window that goes low enough to accommodate your setup. I couldn't tell you how many customers a year I talk to that, you know, whiff it or, Hit you know, blind. shoot the edge of the blind and, and, and they're not paying attention to that four inch difference between their sight and where that arrow is coming out of. So yeah. having a window that accommodates your setup is important. Yeah. And, and the Zenix blind, we can do that. Absolutely. Yeah, for me too, like, you know, I know a lot of people like having that 180 view and I'm probably different in that aspect. Um, you know, and I don't know that Zenic and the, the hub or the portal windows, you can adjust up and down um, for your height where you want them. And I really like that setup, having the portal window out the front, your two portals towards your decoy, and then you have a spot to draw your bow back. In and between then, those. Yeah, exactly. And then behind you, you know, with that four-way stretch or that 180 side, it makes it awesome for peaking. Mm-hmm. So, like, your whole back edge, instead of having to, like, what's back there, you can just take your fingers and pull that, that stretchy material down and look through it. Uh, that setup, for me, you know, I love it. That's, you know, for deer hunting, for turkey hunting, you know, having a spot where, and part of it's probably because, you know, I like using calls where, you know, slate call or box calls and different things where I have things in my hands and I'm moving around a little bit more. Um, and, you know, shooting that decap head, Usually I'm letting that bird come in close, spend some time there, you know, be able to draw back and make sure I'm not, you know, scaring them off too. And then unlike deer, um, turkeys see the full range on the color wheel. So I don't know, I'm assuming you guys, but like when I set up my blind, I'm all the way to the back of it. So I have room and then I wear a black sweatshirt, you know, like a fanatic or something completely blacked out, wear a darker cap. Sometimes I cover up face makeup because I got a huge balloon sticking in the back of there. But um, color contrast, you know, you're, and that's the thing is people say, well, I, I'm not going to spend the amount of money on a blind. Well, here's the thing is you're not spending the amount of money on camo. Mm-hmm. You're not having to. Mm-hmm. Now, run and gun, you can. And, and that's, you know, some people say, well, turkeys, they, they don't adjust to color. One out of 150,000 birds don't worry about color. The rest of them, if you go out there with a fluorescent yellow shirt on, they're going to be alert, you know, they're going to see something. So, and that's what, that's what I do is I'm, I'm blacked out. So it looks black if they do peek into the blind. And that's the thing is, is I don't set out my blind four weeks ahead. Like you would for a white tail. I, I set it out the day prior or that morning. Um, what I've experienced is birds. They don't really care. You know, I give the decoys that job. Yep. But I think I, you know, and that's the cool thing about our shops. Um, the three locations, Brainerd, Waite Park, and Rogers, is there's always three guys, if not more. Uh, all of us do this for a living, but all of us do the hunting aspect of it. It's not just a techie, you know, that's putting in hours. It's it's our passion. This is what we do. And and we have more, more connection with our customers than I think any other box store. Or it's a pro shop feeling, coffee shop feeling, I guess you could say, because we talk. I don't know how many times I've told the same story in four weeks of, you know, working with guys during turkey hunting, it's the same story, but it's a different customer. And then I learn just as much yeah. as I'm teaching them. And, and I think I encourage people, no question's a dumb question. Any aspect of hunting, you know, turkey hunting now is over for us in Minnesota. Well, actually most states. Um, last thing, do any of you guys hunt turkeys in the fall? I, I have not myself. I bought a tag one year because I saw a really cool smoke phase Tom, like four sits in a row in October. And then when I bought the tag, I didn't see him again. I haven't done it since. I think yeah, I'm, a I'm, I'm an opportunist, you know. If, yeah. I'll, if I'm hunting deer during that time, I'll buy a tag. And if, 
you know, get one to come by and I don't bust them, drown my bow out of a tree. Yeah. You know, I, I'll, I'll take that opportunity, but I'm pretty focused by that time of year on, on big game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would second that myself. Just because, too, like for me, you know, again, turkey hunting's is about the goblin and the strutting and the yeah. whole deal. Or the fall, it's it's more of a pattern game. Not saying yep. right or wrong or whatever, yep. but it, uh, you know, just that time of year, it's it's deer hunting. It's elk hunting. Yeah. It's mule deer hunting. And, and turkey, you know, hands will squawk in the fall. We've all heard them, uh, you know, down on the hauler. Once in a while, you'll hear a gobbler, a shot gobble. But to me, the fall is inventory. What birds do I have on the farm? What, you know, and they might not winter there, but just, I just like seeing them and, I, and I'll just sit and watch them walk by. And I've probably passed on some of the biggest toms or oldest toms I've ever seen just at 20 yards, but it, I'm not turkey hunting, you know, I'm deer hunting or whatever it may be. But uh, yeah, I encourage everybody to, you know, come in and just visit as, uh, as summer's coming on, we're putting away the turkey rigs. We're getting ready for big game and Western game and, and whitetail season's coming. I want to thank you guys for our first episode. Going to be a ton of them. We uh, encourage all of you guys to, uh, wherever you get your podcast, make sure and hook up Archery Country on there. Many more coming to you. We also have a, a giveaway that we're going to be doing. We'll sneak out a portion of this podcast, ask a question, and uh, you can message us on Facebook, Archery Country Facebook. We prefer you message us and uh, with the right answer, and then uh, we'll give it about a week after this is uh debuted and then we'll draw we'll give away some cool prizes archery country ball caps and that but uh, thank you guys for being on again check out our youtube channel archerycountry.com for anything that you can't get in the pro shop check out our three locations weight park brainerd and rogers and uh, on our youtube's channel please do me a favor and subscribe and then also click on the bell so you get notification we're releasing videos we got a, a huge bank of cool stuff from Product reviews to uh, you guys have been building some bows that are on there. Uh, a lot of people are now going to get set up for the fall. So come in and everything you need. On behalf of Archery Country, thank you, Brandon. Thank you, Jake. Thank you, John. We will see you guys on the next episode. Thank you for listening to Archery Country Podcast. 